the Olympics uh-huh. starts. I don't know about you, but I've been, uh, I, I really love the, the, the Olympics because I find myself hating other countries. <laughs> for some reason, the Olympics just bring out like, I started rooting for the archery team. Go archers! I didn't even know the first thing about archery. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, come on, go get them. And they were playing the, the Koreans, and I was like, yeah, I was just, I mean, it was intense for a few minutes in my house. And I just happened to turn the tube on. But that's what the Olympics does. It gives you a sense of nationalistic pride. I mean, you know, watching, I mean, sports you would never watch. Gymnastics. I never watched gymnastics during the regular year. But yesterday I was watching the team gymnastics last night. And I was like, man, this is awesome. I was rooting for guys in tight shorts. I was like, come on, go get it. Let's do this. It didn't matter what sport it was. You as an American, you get you well up with pride. You're going, this is my country. I watched the opening ceremonies for the first time. Yeah. You know, and, you know, over, over days, of course, because things like four hours long. And, you know, it got to the, you know, where, the, where they present the nations, and I'm like, can we fast forward? Because obviously they're going in alphabetical order. Can we fast forward this? I was like, go to the youth. There it is. And then I get excited. You know, you get, you get very full of just, uh, you feel it, especially our church, because we have a lot of members here who have served in the military. And you just feel that pride. You feel it. And so, you know, when, when you have that much passion, I'm not showing much compassion for the other teams. I'm not rooting for the enemy, if you know what I mean. I want them to lose in bad. That's what you feel when you have a lot of nationalistic pride. And so this morning, I want to introduce you a character of the Bible that had some of that same feelings. Nationalistic pride. I don't want other countries doing better than our country. Turn your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Here is a man, a prophet. In many ways, feels the same thing about what I just expressed. I don't want China to gain any gold medals. They were up on the metal counts for day, and I was a little bit irritated. It's like, come on, USA, go get it. Because you feel pride. You know, it was during a time, Zach, if you can remove the cap from that, that'd be great. I think my clicker works, actually. You know, Jonah served God as a prophet, a poet, during the reign of Jeroboam II in the northern Israel. He was, the, he was one of the northern kings. And if you look in the little map here, here was the southern and here was the northern. He was a prophet that went into the northern portion of Israel at that time to speak and be a prophet. You know, he predicted in uh, 2 Kings 14, verse 25, he predicted that the expansion of King Jeroboam by military campaign would be successful, and it was. So Israel was, was kind of, you know, going on the rise, gaining new territory. You know, Jonah was from a small town near Nazareth called gath Hipper. And he was a true prophet because you cannot be a prophet and be wrong. 
you're going to be a prophet, you had to be right all the time. Because you're going to say this is from God. It needed to be right. Otherwise, you were called a false prophet. And you're in danger for your life. You know, Jonah had a stubborn streak. Can you relate to that? He's a little stubborn. He was pro-Israel to the core. He was a nationalist. He despised the growing power of the Assyrian Empire. He saw it growing. And he didn't like that. You know, when you've got an attitude towards something like that, then God tells you to go, go help them. You don't feel very motivated. Nope. I did not root for China last Saturday at all. Even though they won the, the, the gold medal in the swimming with the 400 medley for the women, I was like, she was fast, I'll give her that, but I don't like her. Because <laughs> she beat a USA girl. You know, Jesus mentions four prophets in his ministry. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, and Jonah. You know, some of the contemporaries he was with were in the book of Amos and Hosea. Those were prophets who were around the same time were also working in the ministry for God, speaking to God's people. Now, I want to show you this map here because it's important to understand that uh, King Jeroboam is down here, and this Assyrian Empire is taking hold here. It's growing. It's growing powerful. Now, the Assyrian Empire was originally founded in Genesis chapter 10 by a man named Nimrod. He founded it, but you know, over, over hundreds of years, it began to grow as an empirical power, powerhouse. In 841, they were establishing supremacy in the Near East right there. And what's important here is that they were very powerful. And a few years earlier, uh, many years earlier, this was a prophet here, according to their, uh, the obelisk that they found in the um, excavation of it, of Nineveh, they found the prophet Jehu paying tribute to the Assyrian Empire. So it was a very powerful, powerful empire that was growing. And the problem was, as it was growing, Israel was declining because their relationship with God was growing weaker and weaker and weaker. They tolerated idolatry. They cared more about the physical, what can they own, what can they wear, how, what can they accumulate. And they started trusting their riches, trusting themselves. Then they had to rely on other nations, trusting Egypt instead of God. So as Assyria was on the rise, Israel was on the decline. And there's an interesting city. It's an artist's rendition of what it looked like. Two, two, two actual circular walls surrounding it on the Tigris there. Very powerful, beautiful place. Here it is uh, in, in modern-day Iraq. If you want to go to Iraq and visit there, you can, you can see that on your, own, on your own travels. You know, in Amos, he writes here, Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus. And, you know, it's foretelling, you know, what's going to happen to God's people. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? You know, God's people were ignoring God. And God says, you're going to be taken captive. There will be consequences in this relationship. And he's warning them. He's trying to get their attention. 
but the people aren't listening. And so God begins to use Assyria as an instrument of judgment. They're growing, powerful and powerful, but God's people are not listening. Eventually, in 722, this Assyrian nation comes down into Samaria and demolishes it and takes back the Jews and takes them back to Assyria where they assimilate the population. That was the, that was the, the protocol. So they mixed Jewish and Assyrians, and then you had Samaritans who were hated by the Jews. Consequences. The message of Jonah. The message is that God wants to send Jonah to these people, to the city of Nineveh. You know, if you're a nationalist, if you're pro-nation of Israel, that's the last place you want to go. Yeah. But it tells you about God and the great links he'll go to teach people forgiveness. These were not a kind people, these Assyrians. They were not kind. In the Psalms, you can read about them dashing the, the heads of the infants on rocks. Who wants to care for infants when you're traveling back many miles? They weren't kind people. They were pagans. They were violent. They were vicious. They were relentless. And they did not want to stop sinning. You know, the book of Jonah talks about what God is willing to do to save and teach people about forgiveness, even the worst of mankind. It also shows us God's sovereignty to accomplish his purpose. As we all know, Jonah and the great fish, correct? We also can see in the book of Jonah, if you've read it, the people respond to Jonah. And it rebukes what's supposed to humble out Israel. Here are pagans being humbled to God, and God's people aren't being humbled to God. And Jonah was a symbol of disobedience and indifference to other people. Well, we can get that way, can't we? Yeah. We get so indifferent. All we care about is our life, our family, our situation, and we can become totally indifferent to anything else. So look at verse 1 with me, because there's a great lesson in this biblical history. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You know, God has called Jonah to speak to this great city. What an opportunity. People are living in darkness. They're lost. They're relentless and persistent in sin. And God says, go to them. God loves Nineveh. God loves the sinner. No matter how bad you are, God loves people like that. They're pretty messed up people, huh? You know what? You were messed up too. Yeah. 
Yeah, remember that? Zach was messed up. Josh had to go share his faith. He, he was blocked by the religious pride. I was baptized already. So yeah, but you weren't a disciple. He's like, what's a disciple? Ah, there we go. Be, be a disciple, being baptized as a disciple. So once he got that, it was great to see Zach get baptized into Christ as a disciple and living as a disciple. Amen. It's been fantastic seeing him grow. Amen. And I want to commend the campus for really cultivating a really campus-loving community where the campus disciples can grow. Good job, guys. You're doing a really awesome job. You know, our disobedience to God, what Jonah does here is he's rebellious. He lets his pride get in the way of obeying God. He gets very rebellious. I mean, they were so bad that God was like, hey, you got to go over there and help them. No, I'm not going over there. I'm not doing that. You know, God called Jonah to preach and call people out of their sin. You know, God has called you to preach and call people out of their sin. Matthew 20, it was a command. Same with Jonah. It was a command. It wasn't optional. You know, you see people in sin. You see people get lethargic spiritually. You see people get lukewarm. What do you do? Just watch. That's what Jonah wanted to do. Jonah just wanted to watch. I don't want to go over there. I'm going to go over here. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. A lot of times we run in our own ministry. We want to get on a ship to Joppa and head, head over to Tarshish. I'm not talking about that, brother. I'm not saying anything. And we don't want to say nothing. We want to run just like Jonah. Or maybe you're, you've been church hopping. Church to church, running. You hear, you hear a message, oh, I don't like that message. I mean, I'm out, I'm out of here. And you're running. You know, God gave Jonah a commission to go and teach the people about forgiveness and their sins. Wow. To teach them everything I've commanded until the very end of the age. We have the same calling. We have the same mission. We have the same duty to God. But Jonah runs away from the responsibility. You know when you used to do that to your parents when you were growing up? Hey, Gio, when I come back, I want the lawn mowed. Or Gio, can you pull the weeds? And I go there and just grab the top and just yank a few things out and not follow through. We avoid the responsibility to preach against sin. When was the last time you uh, preached and called out someone on their sin? Good question. Last time you've done that? Because it should be something that we do very lovingly, compassionately, but it's something we should do Amen. as God's people. Yeah. You know, we have a chance to do the very same thing that Jonah has, to go and preach to non-disciples, people that are lost spiritually. Yeah, it's, the, it's summertime, but I'm not taking a spiritual vacation during summer. Oh, amen. Neither should we, anyone. It's the best time to actually go share your faith. People are kind of out and about doing stuff. It's a great time. Yeah. 
Jonah here disobeys God. It's a very serious thing to become rebellious toward God. Every act of disobedience is rebellion towards God. And he runs away. He has this plan to go away, away. And let's see what God, what God does here in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. Each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who was responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who was responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you, where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? <laughs> you imagine that dramatic scene? Where seasoned veteran sailors are afraid. Number one. You know, when I went fishing with the brothers here this year, we had the veteran sailor. He had the scruffy beard, the leather neck from the sun. He was chopping up fish like he can do a blindfold. He was just, he was just, he was the man. You know, I'm vomiting. He's like, I'm eating lunch. I mean, this was a veteran guy. When you have veteran guys out in sea, they're used to storms. But nothing like this. This was a storm sent by God. And it frightened them. Because disobedience has consequences. Cain, killing his brother. Abraham lying. King Saul. King David. Adultery. Even his own children. Rape and murder. You know, this storm was sent by God. And to think you can disobey God and there be no consequences is absolutely foolish. Whether they come sooner or later, they come. Because God disciplines those He loves. He'll do that because He loves you. He does it because He cares about you. He's, got, he's trying to wake Jonah up. Don't run away. Help these people. He's trying to get a message, but Jonah is disobedient and he's endangering the lives of other people. You see, when we, when we start disobeying God, we put other people's lives in danger, especially those who aren't Christians. We put their spiritual lives in danger. And then the sailors are so scared. You know, I watched the show Deadliest Catch. Those guys are studs. Yeah. Those waves scare me just from watching the TV set. And there they are. But these men were frightened. And they cry out to their God. And they pray for help because they're deeply concerned. They're distressed about the potential loss of life. And what does Jonah do? Jonah goes down into the deep part of the ship and falls asleep. Not just sleep, but a deep sleep. It's an amazing contrast of the sailors who start having quiet times and Jonah who goes down and goes to sleep. No concern. 
for the lives of the people on the boat. He's only concerned about himself. He's only worried about his situation, how he's feeling. And a pagan captain comes down, wakes him up, and he asks, hey, can you pray to God that he can change our situation here? You know, sometimes non-Christians will, will shake you up a little bit. They'll convict you. Right? Let me ask you a question. Are you sleeping spiritually? Are you in a deep slumber? No concern for what's going on around you? You can always tell someone who's sleeping spiritually when they consistently come late to church. They are sleeping spiritually. They're sleeping and don't... They're sleepwalking. Sleeping. When you're not trying to have your discipleship time and trying to get people in your life, you're sleeping spiritually. You should be actively, actively pursuing that. Not waiting for the phone call. Well, I'm waiting for him to call me to get together. You're sleeping. My Bible says you encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. We can be sleeping. And a lot fell on Jonah. Ancient times, they did the lot game. And, and there it was. They did it for Jesus' clothes. They did it for God's will. And here it was. It fell on Jonah. It just tells you the sovereignty of God. God's totally in control. And they start to question Jonah. Who are you? Who's responsible? What do you do for a living? I mean, they're very curious. Can you imagine I'm a prophet? Can you imagine what, you know, that conversation, how that would go? Can you imagine what would happen? You know, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from God. You know, God's sovereignty is working in the life of Jonah. You cannot escape God's sovereignty. You cannot escape God's will. You can try to go different places, but you can't escape God. You can church hop all you want, but you can't escape God. That Zach was doing, he was church hopping. We can do that. Verse 9, he says, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, well, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will be calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder before them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. You know, you can be open about where you're at spiritually and still be rebellious. 
Because Jonah was open. Ah, what are you doing here? I'm going to Tarshish. Why? I'm running from the, from the Lord, my God. He's open about it. But he wasn't changing. He had no intention to change. We think they just, they just, if we're open, things will get better. No. When you're open, it makes you aware of your sinfulness to change. You know, Jared, Jonah here shares his faith despite himself. <laughs> These guys start praying, not to their gods, but to Elohim, to the Hebrew God. Right on the spot. They start praying and praying and praying. What have you done? They asked Jonah. They were shocked. How can you disobey God? What have you done? The pagans were surprised. And what did Jonah do? Turn the ship around. Let's go back to Nineveh. Obviously, this is a scary situation. Let's go back to Nineveh. All will be good. No. Throw me into the ocean. And it will stop. You know, when you get called out, you can, get, you can feel real sorry for yourself. Start feeling real, well, man, throw me into the ocean. I'll die. Yeah, you're right. Worldly sorrow leads to death. When we, we get caught in sin or, or we get called out on sin, the temptation is to feel sorry for yourself. Start involving our parents. I didn't have good parenting growing up. <laughs> My parents weren't Christians. No, you don't know what kind of, kind of spouse I have. It's hard. You start getting worldly. My job is hard. I get fired any day now. We go everywhere. We start evoking all kinds of situations when we get called to change. And we're hoping that they, that just kind of, you know, Puts up the wall so oh, they'll just deal with that. And they, yeah. But you may fool some Christians. But you will never fool God. Because one thing about God, He will never be mocked by you. You cannot mock Him. So Jonah would rather die than go speak to Nineveh. That was how deep it ran. How stubborn he was. I'd rather be dead than go over there. Can you just imagine it? You're thinking, wow, it's, yeah, he, he had a hard time. Yeah. What happens if your Bible talk to you says, hey, brother, let's go and share our faith. Wait a minute. Whoa, I got, I'm pretty busy, man. I'm going to Tarshish. I got a vacation coming. <laughs> Start running and hiding. Going to share your faith. Bro, are we doing that again? We get really weird when it comes to sharing your faith. I don't know. Is the church ready for it? We get really strange. We make a lot of reasons why we don't do things that God calls us to do. We're, in many ways, we're like Jonah. We're like Jonah. But don't worry. God loves you so much, God makes it happen. He'll make it happen. He will get involved in your life. And he will make it clear to you. Because Jonah tried to say, hey, I'm not doing this. You know, for the sailors, 
Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Amen to that. They were were, were worshiping Jonah's God. They quickly went from their pagan gods to Jonah's God. And when you realize how big God is and how small we are on planet Earth, I mean, we are a speck in the universe. We are so tiny, so small. God is so big. You start, you start changing. Yeah. These guys prayed. They made vows. They, wanted, they, they felt terrible about throwing Jonah over. They felt horrible. And so Jonah is eventually thrown into the sea. He suffers. You know, they have television shows about people that should have been dead that would get trapped out in the ocean. Yeah. It is a terrible place to be being out in the ocean with a raft. And I watched shows where people drank salt water. And then they thought they, thought they saw 7-Eleven and just walked out and died. I mean, it is, a, it is a scary thing to be out in the middle of the ocean. And Jonah's all by himself. And we can feel that way when we are disobedient to God. We are all by ourselves. We are in an ocean. And we are dying of thirst. We're lonely. We're hopeless. But God prepares a great fish to take Jonah. Oh, Chio, that's just a story we tell our kids. Big old fish got Jonah out on the beach. (laughs) Right? That's in the storybooks. That doesn't really happen, right? Well, in Matthew 12, Jesus said it happened. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, there's no, there's no parentheses, it's just a story. So the Son of Man will be in three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's not some kind of story. Jesus says, this is exactly what happened. It's in a real event, historical event. Jesus says, I'm going to be the same way. I'm going to go three days in my death, then I'm going to resurrect. And when he resurrects, what does he tell the disciples to do? Go make disciples. When Jonah comes out of the fish, what, what does he do? He goes on, he preaches to Nineveh. Same foreshadow. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. He says, in fact, the Old Testament was written, to, to, it was written for me. It was written all about me to reveal me. Here's a little bit of Jesus in the Old Testament. So what are your obstacles? What are your obstacles? Well, I'm not connected to disciples in my group. Let me give you some advice and direction. Get connected. Very simple. Very simple. Get yourself connected. Make a phone call. You ask a Christian, would you like to have lunch? I guarantee you they'll say yes. You confess your sin, I guarantee you you'll get help. But if we have to play the battleship Christianity game, bro, when was the last time you were on E5? E6. That is immature. And sometimes it has to be done. I understand that. But we got to rise up Amen. to maturity. You know what I'm saying? Well, bro, I'm not feeling encouraged. It's my obstacle. Well, then tell somebody you're not encouraged. 
I got to call the bros and say, bro, I'm not feeling encouraged. And they go, well, let me encourage you. I feel better. It's awesome. Thank you, Steve. We tell each other things. Well, I'm emotionally scarred from my past. Amen. We'll work through that. Get some help. Well, bro, I have a problem with being vulnerable. Well, then you're not going to grow. Let's get vulnerable. Let's get you why you're not open. Why aren't you vulnerable? Well, bro, I don't really have much sin. You're self-righteous and deceived. Let me help you. <laughs> right? Oh, my marriage is not unified. Too scared. It's not a good situation. Call a married couple and have them over. And then tell them. You know, we have to have them over and we're like, I'm waiting for them to ask us how we're doing. Just tell them how you're doing. I find it the most effective way of getting help in my marriage. Hey, Peter, can you come down here? Because Karen's not talking to me anymore. <laughs> And I'd like her to talk so we can have a marriage. Can you come out and help me? And then Peter and Katie walk down the street and come over to my house and sit us down. And there it is. And we get help. That's the Garces' house. I just tell them, she's not talking. I'm preaching and she's not listening. Just like that. We got to stop making excuses. We gotta stop being so stubborn. We gotta stop being so rebellious. We gotta stop pointing the finger at it's really that person. It's really these people here. I I would bring people, but these people. We gotta stop making excuses. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. You see, even if you've been, even if you've been mistreated, even if you've been scarred, even if you've been traumatized, you overcome evil with good. You don't respond evil with evil. It's with good respond. That's the true Christian. That's the heart of God. And Jonah does not have this heart. He is stubborn. He is prideful. He is rebellious against God. He's putting people's lives in danger. He's complacent. He falls asleep. Because he does not want to go and do what God asks him. And he's a prophet. That's what he does for a living. You know, God will make you face your mission. Yeah. He does. Yeah. He'll make you face it, face it. The whole will of man is to have a relationship with God. Because when bad things happen and you have a relationship with God, you can deal with that. More and more of our friends and family are dying of cancer. Please pray for Katie's father. Diagnosed terminal cancer. Pray that we can get into his life, which we already have been in his life, instead of the Bible and baptize him.
The whole will of man is to have a relationship with God. So millions of years later, millions of years down the line, you can go, look back. Remember that happened like 45 million years ago? I was, yeah, because you had a relationship with God. The whole will of man is to have a relationship with God. So we can weather the storms. You know, remember the Dan should do that little rope of the red part, our little life on earth, and there's the rope was eternity. And we were struggling right here, right here, and we were struggling. The whole will of man is to have a relationship with God. And God will sometimes go to the extreme to get your attention, as he did with Jonah. So we got to stop making excuses for for why we don't obey God. So I want you to make the decision to repent. Summer vacation is not a spiritual vacation. Repentance. Obey God. That means that if you're the person that comes to church late every Sunday, that means you have to wind your clock back 45 minutes. Right? Because it's disrespectful to the people who come early to serve. It is. Don't be sleeping. Obey God. This is our chance to reach out to the lost. I got two ASO soccer teams this fall. Come on, baby. I'm fired up. Not just because I'm coaching my kids, because I'm fired up because I have a list of families that I get to share my life with. Yeah. I'm fired up about that. My son wants to play soccer again. He quit during the summer. Now he wants to play again. I was pretty fired up about that. I was like, okay, son, soccer's, yeah, it's cool. I'm okay with it. So I want to play. But he wants to play ASO. Great. Let's play ASO. Let's do it. Let's make a difference for God. Allow your heart to be like God's. As we study these next few chapters over the next several weeks, we want you to look at the heart of God and the, and the links he's willing to go to teach forgiveness and to love people despite their sinfulness because that's how we want to be treated, right? So go and do the same. I love you. Have a great afternoon and to God be the glory.